Welcome to Rockstar Today, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. Show notes can be found on rockstartoday.com forward slash podcast. You will also find a link to sign up to the Rockstar Today Backstage Pass Facebook group. And now your host, Randall. Welcome to Outside the Artist Studio, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. And today, I'm very excited because we have with us all the way from Mexico, although she works in Toronto virtually, but she is currently in Mexico, we're having Paula Danilovich. That's me. <laughs> now, Paula works with bands that you probably know of, like Sum 41, Matthew Good, and a whole bunch of other bands, many of which I've interviewed. And, and I fell in love with a lot of them, too. Her past artists include Antrax, some 80s here. We got some Blondie, Hollow Notes, Motley Crue, Nickelback, Motorhead, Primus, ZZ Top. She's been in the business, what, 25 plus years now. You're making me feel quote, old already. <laughs> this is a quote I like. It's from Alan Cross. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts uh, out there is from Alan, but he's also a radio host and a journalist. And this is what he says of Paula. Paula is like a terrier on a SEAL Team 6 mission. The job will get done and she will take a bullet for her artists. Welcome to the show, Paula. Thank you. Thank you. I love that quote from Alan. Yeah. And it's true. I will take a bullet for my artists. So do you have any bullet wounds? Uh, I'm sure I do over the years, but thankfully I've survived. That's all I have to say. Because a lot of people don't survive in the music industry. Yeah. Whether you're a musician or whether you're somebody in the industry, I mean, it's a tough industry. Yeah. You know. But I think there's something that makes you a little different. Well, I want to talk about that. But before we kind of get into that, I always like, and you know, every time I, I interview one of your artists, I always go to the origin story. I want to find out where it all started. Is there maybe a, a music or a band when you're flipping through your parents' CD collection that made music, you know, something that you heard went from that to something you felt, or you really said like, this is my music. Yeah. You know, my musical tastes are very diverse. Um, you know, the first record I bought was Queen... A Night at the Opera Day at the Races. I bought The Police. I bought Boston. I think it was like the big boss record. I can't remember what it was called off the top of my head. And uh, a Clash record. Oh, and it's Sex Pistols. Never mind the books. I really started getting into music when I was in college. When I was a kid, my first concert that I went to with my parents was Sunny and Chair. Hmm. My the first concert I ever went to without a, without my parents, but I had a chaperone was the Bay City Rollers at CNE Stadium in on August 22nd, 1977. And I remember that date. It's embedded in my mind. And then after that, you know, Rod Stewart and, you know, a whole bunch of different artists. But I think it was when I got into college, and I started writing for my college newspaper and I started a radio show with my college radio station that I really got into music. It wasn't until many years later that I decided I wanted to be in the music industry. Hmm. I kind of fell into it. <laughs> what was your first job in the music industry? How did I you actually kind of... started my own PR company. Hmm. I was working for a magazine publisher. I hated my job, didn't like where it was going. And a friend of mine in the music business who worked for a label at the time. Honestly, he said, you've got a big mouth. Why don't you become a publicist? <laughs> and the rest was history. So yeah. So that's basically how it all started. So I started my own PR company. I was self-taught, didn't go to school to learn PR. 
and just along the way learned everything and then started doing contract work for a couple of labels and continued to do independent work. And I always preferred working for myself because I somewhat was in control of what artists that I worked with because I only work with artists that I really believe in. And especially at this point in my career, when, you know, 30 years in, I turned down a lot of projects that I just don't feel are for me. I don't either, I just don't get it. Or, you know, I don't feel the music. I don't feel that the artist is going to make any headway with my, you know, despite what I do. Mm-hmm. So I'm very picky about the projects that I take on. I love my job. I, I'm thankful every day that I do what I do. There's a few things to dissect. So okay. the first thing that I really enjoyed was the fact that you did not go to school for PR. And I'm a firm believer that sometimes doing it yourself will make you create your own path, your own way that will be different. And it'll probably be better because everybody else is doing it one way. And it might even be the wrong way that just gets replicated over and over again. So it takes somebody like you to kind of start fresh and give it a new perspective and then do things, you know, maybe a more personal way. Like you said, one, that's one of the things I wanted to highlight is one of the things that I, I like about you is that you stand behind every one of your artists and you will not mm-hmm. uh, take an artist that you just don't like that way. You know, you can't get passionate about somebody you don't like. So, yeah, exactly. Um, I actually took radio and television broadcasting in college. The year that I left school, the CBC laid off 10,000 people mm-hmm. and jobs in television and radio were very scarce at the time in Canada, all across the board. So I had to, you know, think of something else to do. And it took me a few years to get back to music. Although I worked as a receptionist at an agency for a while. And I worked, you know, doing concert production for odd concerts here and there. But it wasn't until I like I literally fell into it because I hated my job and I wanted to do something new. After this friend said, you've got a big mouth, why don't you become a publicist? I went, ah, and a light went off. I literally went to my boss, gave him my two weeks notice and then called a friend uh, at another label and said, what does a publicist do? (laughs) And that was it, you know? One thing that happens is that every time your name comes up in conversation, especially like in my Wine About Music Mastermind, we had your name come up a couple of times. Some of your bands or that people that work with you were in there and it's always glowing reviews. People just really love working with you. Oh, good. I, I'm glad they're not whining. <laughs> I personally enjoy working with you because oh. I, I've told you before, you're one of the few that takes a personal interest. You'll reach out to me personally and actually use my name and you don't just send me uh, press releases. Yeah. Yeah. Or spam email, which doesn't really register it kind of goes straight to my deleted items pretty quickly unless I want to review them or work with them but you bring me artists and you ask for help in a way that's very personal and I always seem to like the ones you bring me so I've been uh, very impressed I don't think you've ever turned me down or I mean if you have it's because it was a time issue like you were going on vacation and it was time sensitive or whatever but yeah I mean you, you know I think the artists that that I've brought you over the years have been, you know, really quality artists and, and that will continue because like I said, I only take on projects that I really believe in. So let, let's break this down. We, okay. we just had uh, Jamie uh, on the last episode. So she kind of broke down what she does. What is your unique selling proposition? What makes you different from other PR companies? Well, I believe I'm very different than most of the PR companies in Canada because I also do some specialty radio as well. 
which a lot of publicists don't do. So I do college radio. I do specialty radio. I do video submissions for my clients. I do a little bit of everything. When I take on an independent artist who needs to get to that next level, I'm also putting a bug in the ear of my friends and colleagues in the industry who are, you know, agents, concert promoters, publishers, um, all, all across the board. Just be like, hey, this is what I'm working on. Check this band out, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get them on the radar of people in the industry as well. And I don't know that publicists do that too much these days. You know, there's different levels of involvement. Like a lot of times if I'm working with like a a really new sort of independent artist that needs a lot of help along the way, I might also have a bit of a consulting role where I'm helping them with their album artwork or their single artwork and getting their promotional materials together. The bio Uh, done and... Well, the bio is always part of my campaign anyways, but like whether it's a single bio or album or EP bio, you know, right now I'm working with an artist who he has a a single coming out in uh, January and I'm working on a consulting basis, like setting up his music video shoot, his behind the scenes videographer, his um, branding, photography, branding, like everything. So that when we're ready to start sort of teasing the release in December, it's going to come out in January, you know, we have some content and having the bio done in advance so I can, you know, service long lead publications that need a little more time than some others that need, you know, a week or two notice. So I think that's how I'm, I'm different where I do offer sort of those extra services and such. What artists have to remember is you get what you pay for because mm-hmm. there's there are publishers out there that'll charge 500 bucks a month and you're going to get a few little tiny blogs and that's it. And then there'll be publicists that charge $2,000 a month and you're going to get like a lot more high profile looks. You're going to get, you know, stuff that actually moves the needle for you. First of all, let's acknowledge that there is a ton of talented musicians out there. Like Absolutely. Like the amount of new music coming out every day on Spotify is insane. But to be successful, it's not just about talent. I mean, even in the past, a lot of it has been talent mixed with a little bit of serendipity, being at the right place at the right time or mm-hmm. meeting the right person, being introduced to the right person or having your name in somebody's ear when they think of, oh, I need an opening band. Oh, what's that band Paula told me about? I'm going to check them out. And I think that's how things happen. It's not just being talent. We need more. Right. That's your job is to put that little voice in people's ears. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, uh, the one thing that I'll say is I'm, I find historically the artists that do the best are ones that are not just artists, but they're business people as well. Mm-hmm. They understand, you know, the nature of the business and that this is not just about making music. It's about revenue streams and it's about other things and having all the pieces of the pie, you know, working at once for that bigger goal, you know? So let's say the, a band is thinking about going and getting a PR agent. What are a few things they need to do before they reach that step? What, what's the, the, the building blocks, the foundation they need to work on? Well, I will say this. What I tell bands is don't even go in the studio to start recording unless you have a solid plan in place on how you're going to promote your release and how you're going to fund it. Because otherwise you're just wasting your hard-earned money and time and energy and, you know, 
creative energy, everything. Because so many bands, they'll go into the studio, they'll record, and then two weeks later, they want to put it out with no forethought of how they're going to promote it or anything. Ready, fire, and. and. Like, I mean, I'll often get emails, like almost on a weekly basis from a band that said, hi, I put out a CD yesterday and I'm looking for a publicist. And I'm like, well, you're eight weeks too late, you know? I mean, like, did you think of maybe contacting me before you released it, you know? And I just tell them, I'm like, you know, you would have needed to contact me six to eight weeks ago to to make a campaign work with me because I need that lead time. And And also, uh, I believe, like, to get some traction on some of these streaming services, you have to have, like, pre-saves, you have to, you know, have people ready to listen to you. I oh bet. yeah, absolutely. Um, get you curated onto a playlist, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. So definitely, that's. I mean, that's a totally different topic. The whole play DSPs and playlisting and all that. I mean, I don't know if anybody else has explained this before on the podcast. So there are two kinds of editorial playlists. There are editorial playlists that are curated by the DSP, so by Spotify, by Apple Music, by you know. And then you've got third-party playlists that are curated by the listeners mm-hmm. or fans or whatever. And it's the ones that are curated by the DSPs like Spotify that have the most listeners and that you want to get on. Yeah. So now that's not always easy to do because there's certain algorithms that work with Spotify. So like you said, with the pre-saves, if you've got, 10 pre-saves versus 8,000 pre-saves, that's going to affect the algorithms differently. You got to make sure that you putting your pitch on, on your Spotify for artists through the back end to the global editors to make a decision on whether the music does, you know, belongs on, on a specific playlist or not. And then there's the third-party playlisters that either you do the research yourself and you find them, you email them or Instagram them or Twitter them or whatever, and show them your song and say, would you put this on your playlist and hope that they do. Unfortunately, there's like a lot of playlists out there that'll charge you to be on their playlist, which is illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could be taken down by Spotify if, if they're found to do that. Um, and there's companies like Playlist Push that you pay to get in the ears of people and hopefully get added to playlists there's a bit of a loophole there with them. I don't know how it works exactly uh, because I don't normally deal with that, but uh, they're not certainly guaranteeing you certain playlists or certain amount of playlists, but they are kind of doing that. So that, you know, if you pay 400 bucks as opposed to 800 bucks, you're going to get X amount of playlists with so many listeners. Okay. And you know, I don't know how long they're going to be able to last doing that because it is against Spotify policy to take money for ads. But it's sort of the, um, you know, back in the days when scalpers were on the street uh-huh. selling tickets to concerts or they had offices, you know, to get around it, they'd say, I'll sell you this pen for a hundred bucks. And as a bonus, I'm going to give you a pair of tickets to the concert. Uh-huh. It's kind of the same thing where they're saying, hey, you're going to pay me to have a bunch of people listen to your music and consider you for playlisting. You know, it's a little bit the same. So anyway. That's, that's one source of revenue, obviously, is, is streaming. What do bands need to do before 
to make sure they get that revenue, they have to register with a couple of uh, associations, right? To be make sure that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, if you just register with somebody like SoCan in Canada, uh, make sure your songs are registered with them. And then also with uh, like sound exchange in the US, if you have any like satellite airplay in the US or in Canada, like for instance, if you get played on Sirius XM in the state, you can make mad money from sound exchange. That kind of works in Canada too with, for instance, like Sirius XM, their country channel, artists that are getting played on that channel are generating a lot of money, but it's being paid out of the States via sound exchange because it's Sirius XM, even though it's originating Canada, right? But I don't know a whole lot about that myself. I mean, your, your job is to help them get noticed and and you helped them in a little bit of other ways. Well, I mean, it, you know, like, because I, I'm a former manager and I do consulting in that as well. Um, but my my main focus is publicity, which is basically print, specialty radio, uh, television, and online press. Uh, so anything in that sort of realm, I don't do any commercial radio promotion per se. There might be the odd, you know, rock station. If I'm working a rock project and they don't have a radio promoter i might send it into a couple of the radio stations the rock stations that have like shows with new music like yeah up and coming yeah. canadian artist shows or whatever stuff like that for sure trying to get them as much sort of overall coverage and not just tiny little blogs that have like 200 viewers or 200 readers or whatever i want to try to get my artists like the bigger looks as they call it yeah obviously and if you're working with an artist, I feel that every band or musician need to have a story. We want to get to know them as a person. And that's one of the things you help them with. What's, what's important for a band to consider when they're, they're thinking about their brand, their EPK, their, their bio? What are some of the things that you look for that, or you try to extract from their story? Right. First of all, I think it's really important that the band understand what a bio is supposed to be and what the purpose of it is, because a lot of bands will come and they'll write their own bios and say like, and they'll make comparisons to other artists, like our music sounds like this. Mm -hmm. And that's not what's supposed to be in a bio, right? So I actually have a bio writer who writes all my client bios for me. Uh, my artist bios and uh, we try to build a story around you know who they are as a band how they started what's different about them what the songs sound like so when I send out a bio I want the journalist that's getting it to be able to read it and I want it to number one spark their interest in the artist but I also want whatever's written in the bio about the music to resonate with them so they understand without even listening to the music what it sounds like without referencing other artists mm -hmm. you know well, so I, I want to talk about that because that's interesting because there is something called social proof which is always good to have so for example you could say that like our producer worked on Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana and Soundgarden and then somebody will maybe associate those bands and elevate you a little bit but it's because there is a person that you're working with that has worked with those bands. Is that something that's good to do in a bio? I, I, I uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Like if you if your producer has worked with some big artists, definitely name a few of them. I don't go past naming three artists in reference with a producer name or somebody they've co-written with or, you know, 
any of that stuff. Because that kind of gives a little bit of uh, having an established band that, that, like let's say a producer or a mixer uh, worked with kind of gives them a little bit more legitimacy, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I think it just shows that they're working with professionals and they're not, I mean, but don't get me wrong because a band can go in the studio and maybe somebody, you know, in the band is particularly good at recording or engineering or whatever. Mm. And so it's self-produced and there are many self-produced albums out there that are amazing, you know? And I think sometimes that's even a better thing because of the fact that it was produced by, you know, the band and they didn't have a big name behind it. And if the music is that good, then that shines for the band. Yeah. So we have the presentation, like the EPK, which has all that information, who you work with. It highlights a bit of the sounds. Is there a look important? Is, is there, do you kind of work on their branding or, or you just want yeah, to that abs- more? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I always say that photos are the second most important thing next to the music, that you have good promotional photos. And that kind of also now impacts like social media and your Spotify profile and everything else. You have to have a good photo. If you have a photo, excuse my language, there's no other way for me to describe, you know, (laughs) you know, if they have a good photo, a great photo, an okay photo that their mom took, like there is a real difference. And a lot of publications won't use bad photo. Yeah. We work a lot with photographers. I know even the photographers that work on Montreal Rocks, the publication I write for, they're professional photographers. They do events, they do weddings. My editor, you know, shot the Kardashians when they're here. Like they do big things. They they travel the world to do event weddings. And you could tell their pictures are, are insane compared to just regular pictures. I might take off my iPhone when I'm a reviewer and I don't have a photographer there. Well, it's up to me, but I do my best. Uh, but you can really tell when as a professional. A little tip, if the band invites like a reviewer and a photographer to a gig, uh, sometimes you have some free time that you can actually get the photographer to take a couple snapshots. And I know that uh, Steve, one of our photographers, did that with the band. We just, they just went outside behind a, he, he's really good about picking a location really quickly, you know, behind a loading dock. And it looks amazing. And I, I can see them using that photo over and over again lately. Same thing with another band that we interviewed and we just did a little, you know, 15 minute photo shoot afterwards. Didn't cost them anything, but they were able to use that over and over again and they were professional photos. So sometimes mm-hmm. you should invest in a good photographer. I mean, yeah. And I mean, sometimes you should invest in a good photographer and have a plan. What is everybody going to wear? Are you going to go get it? I mean, you don't know how many times over my career that a band has been prepping for their album release. Even back in the day when a really good photographer paid for by a label would cost like $10,000 for a full photo shoot. And then the bass player would go get a haircut, you know, a, a massive change, cut his hair that was down to his shoulders and get a buzz cut mm. the week after they do the photos. And he looks nothing like that anymore. And the label's going, oh my gosh, what did you do? Why didn't you get that haircut a week ago? You know? Yeah, there's some funny things that have actually happened. So you have to really think about it. What are you going to wear? What's your overall branding going to be? How many locations are you going to shoot at? Have a plan. Like we, we talked there, a little bit better. Yeah, like you need to take, you need, you ready, need fire, to aim a, is not the right, right way. And then once you have the photos, you pick the two or three photos that are going to sort of brand you for the, the single release, the album or the EP release, like for that 
that you can use on your socials and your Spotify profile and, you know, everything. So that's super important for sure. And the other thing is, is these days, like, it's very rare that I'll work with a band if they don't have a video. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's no music video, like, I'm not interested in working with bands that are only going to have a lyric video because I use that video not only for online, but also for potential television interviews where they need some B-roll to cut, you know, between the interview. So it would be like a music video or something like that. So, yeah. It's, what are your thoughts on uh, live clips? Are those useful? Not so much. Usually TV shows like a music video, but it depends on who it is, right? Because if it's a bigger artist and I, and I say, hey, I only have, you know, the newest thing I have is some live clips. Do you want to see them? They're, they'll be sure, you know, but if it's a new artist and you don't have a music video and you, you know, you always have to really, before you go and release your record, plan for two or three months in advance with regard to, you know, getting your social media numbers up and maybe doing some teases on your social media ahead of the release to get people excited and everything else. You've got to have a solid plan and you have to have a plan on how you're going to roll it out as well Mm -hmm. and not do things piecemeal. Like I said, don't try to hire a publicist like two days before the release Yeah, and have a plan. And also, you know what? I'm very specific about release dates too, because there are blackout dates that I tell people don't ever schedule an album or single release the week of this, this, this week of the Juno press conference, either the last week in January, or the first week of February, traditionally, I mean, that changed last year because of COVID. Every music journalist in Canada is going to be talking about one thing and one thing only that week. And that yeah, is okay. who got nominated. So don't, put that out don't put it out the week of the Juno. don't put anything out the week of canadian music week don't put anything out over a holiday weekend for instance i always say either don't put it out either the week before or the week after a holiday weekend so it's like if the monday's the holiday don't put it out even the week before because everybody is out of town they're gone for thursday you know release dates are very important we said having a plan is very important Let's say a, a band cannot afford a publicist yet. What are a couple of the grassroots things, DIY things they can do just to try to get attention? And, and has any band ever got attention from you in, a, in an interesting way? Let's just put it that way. Uh, no, but a lot of them have pissed me off because of the way they've approached me. Oh, that's good. So, What's, what not yeah. even better? Well, don't email me and tell me you're the best band in the world and that it should be my honor to work with you. Yeah. Because believe it or not, I get those emails. <laughs> and I'm like, nope. <laughs> you know, so I really well, want to that, tell That's them. a little bit of a question of ego. Somebody has a little bit too much ego, especially when they don't have any following and traction. It's, it's empty. They got no fuel. Right. Yeah. I mean, it happens more often than not, Randall. You know, I get quite a few of those emails, you know, I would say at least once a month, I get an email from an artist that, first of all, is written very unprofessionally, stating that they're the best, you know, the best artist in the world and whatever. And I, and when I, and I always try to say like, I'm sorry, I'm not taking on any clients right now. My roster's full, blah, blah, blah. I try to be kind. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get an email back saying, well, it's your loss that you're not going to work with me because I'm going to be a huge star. Right. So, yeah, I just think it's funny. Yeah. From the perspective of a writer, 
I do appreciate when a band is working with a PR firm or a marketing firm uh, because it tells me that they're serious, that this is just not a, a weekend project with a bunch of their friends where I'm going to spend hours writing an article right. and, and the band's not going to be around in six months. I yeah. want to see some proof that they're, they're actually putting some time into this. And from- So let's go back to your last question that actually didn't get answered fully, which was what can a band do on their own if they can't afford a publicist? I would say, first of all, get a friend who might be really good at photography to take some decent photos, number one. Get a friend who's good at writing to try to write a little bio about the band and what you sound like and you know what makes you different or unique or whatever. You know, set up a SoundCloud or some sort of, you know, service where you can send it digitally to them without having to send them, you know, attaching MP3s to the emails that you're sending out. Give them a link to listen. You know, that could be anything. But I I like SoundCloud for that kind of thing. Yeah. And make sure that the SoundCloud's set up properly and there's, you know, some sort of artwork there for a picture of the band or whatever the single cover, the EP cover, whatever it may be, and get whoever in the band is best at writing business type emails to someone, first of all, should research who their local media is. So whether, you know, that's um, the local newspaper, local music blog, local radio station, whatever, have them do a little research to find out who the contact is. Like, you're not going to send the editor of the Toronto Star an email saying, hey, I've got a band and I was wondering if you'll do a story on me. You want to find out, like, who's actually the entertainment editor or who the music writers are and try to reach out to them and do it in a professional manner saying, like, you know, we've got a show coming up. We've got a new release, a show coming up. We're wondering if you might come out and see us play or if you might be able to do a, an advance article on us. And if they like the music, they might just do it, you know? I, I think sometimes there's a lost art of doing your research. Yes. I, you know, I, I believe very much in doing my research. But if you're going to approach someone, especially a journalist, why not say, I really like this quote, a very specific article that you did enjoy. And maybe right. when, I say, when you said this, I thought it was the best line ever. It takes, what, 15 minutes to research, maybe read a little bit, find something that you like, and then put that and that really shows that you're not just spamming me that you're uh, sending me something because you probably read something that I, I wrote yeah I, I, like for example if I was to reach out to Paula I would go to her website hype music and I would see okay what bands does she work with and see if there's a connection maybe maybe there's an overlap maybe maybe there's a band that you're friends with so I I, I noticed that you used to work with so and so yeah xyz band uh, we're good friends. I asked about you and they really liked the way you took care of things and maybe start that way. And then you've, you've sort of made a social connection. And again, that social proof of knowing somebody that you know um, makes it a little bit of closer bond. So you're starting from a, not a place of a stranger, but of a very loose acquaintance. Yeah. And that happens in media as well. Um, I mean, I had a situation recently where I came across an article on an artist that I read the article and it was really good. I'd never heard of the artist before. And it was a website that I had never been on before, but they had a really good following on their socials. I actually reached out to the writer. I found her on Instagram and I introduced myself and I said, I really love that story you wrote on that name, the specific artist and said, I read that article and I really liked your writing style. 
So I thought I would reach out to you because I've got something I want to pitch. I was going to pitch the editor, but I thought I'd come directly to you because I really like your writing style and I would prefer that he assign you to the story than somebody else, you know? <laughs> so that does happen as well. That's a good tip for artists to kind of go the extra mile. There's a lot of outreach you can do. And if you want to be on a network TV station, you can't start there. You have to start lower. Like a, you can start with a blog. A blog might get picked up by a bigger blog who gets picked up by big... Everybody wants something to write about. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if something is good, if it's well-written, it might get picked up. And then, you know, a bigger, you know, maybe CTV or I'm talking about Montreal tier TV, but let's say a TV station will read the blogs. They'll read like articles. And if something catches their interest and it's maybe of, of interest to their audience they will bring it based on those things. So there is n- yeah, nothing I mean, wrong with starting with the little ones. Yeah. And also the other thing is, is like when you're going, you know, looking online for who to pitch in you know, different music blogs, first of all, make sure that they actually cover your kind of music, your genre. That's number one. The other thing is, is when you pitch something to any blog, especially ones that really count on their social media to get the views, they want the artist to share on their socials the story and tag um, right so they're going to be more likely to write about you if you've got two or three thousand followers as opposed to 30 don't start to push that out until you've you know tried to build your social media a little bit so the publication that you're approaching or the outlet you're approaching actually it benefits them i know and i i will look at a an artist's spotify numbers and it's, it's terrible to look at numbers but it does give me an idea it's like are, are people following them are they are they listening to this band? If, if so, there's some traction, then I'll get some eyeballs because you don't want to write to the void. <laughs> you don't yeah, want to write, exactly. uh, spend hours on an article that nobody's going to read. Especially because a lot of writers don't just don't get paid what they're worth. You know, that's the plain truth of it. Well, so. I know, I know for our publication specifically, there's absolutely nothing. We do it simply because, you know, I have, I run a company that's okay. So I don't have to worry about that. So it's just a passion project, but I, I mm-hmm. treat it as if it's a job. I mean, I put the work. And I say this from the bottom of my, my heart. You are one of the best journalists out there. Every time you do an interview with one of my artists, they come back raving about how great the interview was, how that you really did your research. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about it because there are a lot of journalists that don't really do their research and they'll just do the minimum and then the and it doesn't reflect in the article on the artist Mm -hmm. or the interview you know so it's important to me to give good quality outlets to my artists and i mean we talked about the epk or some sort of bio because it's really sad but when i'm researching an artist uh you know maybe you'll send me an epk and uh, i'll read it and then i'll start looking for articles so i can get some backstory and i'll just see the whole epk reprinted a couple times from different blogs and going they didn't even change anything like yeah unfortunately so that's why it is important to have it well written because it might just get cut and pasted and that happens very often where if if it's a news item or something that they'll just cut and paste the press release you know which unfortunately that happens i I mean i would rather have somebody take the effort to actually read the the bio listen to the music and then write the questions based on that not just stock questions you know so you've got so much experience been in this in this industry for a very long time. So we're, we're assuming you started at the age of five. If we can look to the future, like right now, obviously live gigs are very limited. If they do happen, they're limited seating uh, up until November. I think they're going to open up. 
things are changing. Maybe you're listening to this a year from today. Things will be completely different or maybe we're all dead. Who knows? I'm going to put my faith that we're going to have, uh, you know, have come to some sort of normalcy. But before quitting your day job as a musician, it's getting harder and harder because we can't tour right now. What are some ways that you find that our musicians are able to generate some income? It's not the main goal because it's, it's all about the music, but you need to get paid to continue. Is there some right. that, that are working um, more than others right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that at the beginning of the pandemic, there were a bunch of artists that were really smart and really took advantage of the situation to do shows online, to generate some income, and also to spend that time, you know, in lockdown, really honing their social media skills so that they could grow an audience. I think the other important thing is going back to the olden days when bands would tour a lot more, I think, or at least it felt like it that you would change your merch up every tour so that if you were hitting the same city over and over again throughout a year and a half or you're going to go there three times, if those people are your fans, that they've already bought the t-shirt on the last tour, you know? So change up the artwork, make it something new every tour so that you're able to sell more merch, Mm -hmm. you know? Have a a well-put-together website I always like it when one of their social media feeds is on their website yeah, and that it's easy to navigate and to find out how to buy your music, how to buy merch, whether it's a t-shirt I, or, I still a believe, or whatever. I still believe websites are important. Uh, as a journalist, I like to go to one place, have all the links to all their socials. I want to see their bio because I want to know a little bit about them. I want to see a couple of their music videos. Have a couple pictures in case I need it for the website. If whoever mm-hmm. I'm writing about doesn't send me pictures, I sometimes just go directly off the website. Those are the things I kind of look for. So I think it's still very important to, to have a good website. It doesn't have to have a lot of things, but has all the main sections. I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, you almost, you have to be a really good business person as well as a creative artist. Sometimes if you're a band of four guys or five guys, one guy can do this, one guy can do that, that they're good at doing, you know, one can reach out to DJs at college radio, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't try to reach out right away to the big rock station in your town, go to the college radio station first, generate a little bit of buzz, build your following a little bit. This is actually a really funny story. And I can't say the name of who it was. So I worked with this band for a really long time. They're really big. And one of their offspring started a band. And I mean, I'm talking, I was very, very close with this family mm-hmm. to the point where like, I knew the kid since he was born and he referred to me as Auntie Paula, right? And one day we were, they were visiting and he came by my house. I don't know how it happened. I can't remember. And he was telling me about his band. And he's like, Auntie Paula, my band's played more than 120 shows this year. Not one record label or agent has shown up to the shows. And I looked at him and I said, did you invite them? <laughs> and, he, and he just had this blank look in his face like, oh. And he just expected that they were just going to show up with no invite or whatever. And I said, you need to email them and introduce yourself and send them some music and you need to get on their radar before they're going to show up at your shows. Yeah. It was like, he was totally oblivious to the fact that, yeah, you need to actually reach out and get people get on their radar and invite them out to your shows. 
because they're not just going to magically show up. Well, I think that rounds up a little bit the whole discussion that we have is that you have to have a plan. Yes, absolutely. It's not enough to be talented. You have to be talented with purpose. Yes, exactly. And if you can't afford to work with a PR company, we've uh, interviewed two of the last two podcasts. You've at least got some tips on how to work on those basics. The picture we mentioned was so important. Get that photography down, uh, get your story and, and try to find something that makes you unique is also very important. Make it interesting so that as a writer, I can look at that and say, oh, I, I actually want to talk to these people. They have an yeah, interesting story. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, is I, I can send out music and, and bios and, you know, press releases out to ever, you know, a hundred journalists, but I want to make sure that they're actually going to read it. One of the reasons you hire a publicist or a radio promoter or whatever is because they have the connections and they have the experience and, and your stuff will more easily get in the hands of these people and they'll actually listen to it. But at the same time, there's so much music out there today. And this is kind of, you know, the bad part about the digital age, you know, 20 years ago that people weren't, you know, didn't have the equipment to record at home or in their basement or whatever. You had to go into a big studio and, you know, in the days of analog and so forth. It had to be signed normally because you need the funding. Yeah, or have funding. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you weren't signed, you had funding through somebody, an investor, your parents, whatever. Today, you know, anybody can record anything, right? And I always say the good news is, is, you know, anybody can record an album today. And then I say, and the bad news is anybody can record an album today. Yeah. And because there's so much volume out there now of, of mediocre music, that the really good stuff really needs to shine through and that shines through with your photos and with your bio and, you know, the way you present yourself on social media. And, you know, there's so many components to it that you have to raise yourself up, you know? So you can't just wait till the record executives show up at your show. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You got to do your homework. You got to put in the- Every once in a while, maybe a record exec's going to walk into a bar late at night just to have a drink at the end of the night with a buddy and he sees you and goes holy holy whatever you're amazing and and gives you their card or whatever but don't count on it but don't count on you know that i mean that's a one in a million you got a better chance of getting hit by a russian satellite kind of thing and today record companies don't sign artists like that and agents for sure like if an agent comes out to see you once don't get excited that they're going to sign you because they're going to probably come out and see you five or six times and talk to you a few times. And then they're gonna bring out other people from their agency. And then they're gonna bring out the boss from the agency. And it might take 10 shows for them to decide whether, oh, maybe we should you know, invest some time and sign this band. And they probably wanna and see some forward momentum too along the way. Absolutely, because record companies, are, I mean, record companies these days aren't breaking artists anyways. It's publishing mm-hmm. companies, even back in the day, like I remember back in the day when like a band like Moist or even the Matthew Good band back in those days, they were already putting out their own music. They had already sold like, you know, 10, 15,000 albums on their own and they were doing everything. That's when the record companies were coming to them that they were already somewhat developed. You know, I remember both of those artists that I mentioned having a bit of like a bidding war with the record companies. That doesn't happen these days. Very, very rarely. So... You heard it. You know what to do. We thank you so much, Paula. If there's uh, one last piece of advice you can give, what would it be? Treat your career as a business. Good advice. Thanks. If somebody wants to contact you, 
we know that you have your email address and your website. So you're yeah. Good. So just go to hypemusiconline.com. Make sure not to say you're the best band in the world because you aren't yet. But maybe Paula can help you. I often get emails through my website saying, hey, we're a band and we're putting out a record. We want to talk to you about, can you send me a quote for PR campaign? And I'm like, no, send me music first. Send a link so I can listen before I answer. All right. Because my time is limited. I don't have time to answer three or four emails back and forth. Just like send me your website info, your socials, and a link to your music. And of course, if we go back to the quote, the quote's going to be different because they might have different needs. There's not a one price list, one skew for everything. everything yeah, everything. I mean, you know, I have a general rate, you know, I'm an indie rate and a label rate for EP releases or album releases or single releases or whatever. But that also fluctuates based on a bunch of things like, first of all, the genre is going to matter. And if you're going to be touring, like if it's, if you're going to be releasing a single and an album and then you're going to be touring and I'm going to have to do publicity for 25 tour dates, it's going to be a different price than if you're not touring or if you're only going to do five tour dates. And this is another one that's I find amusing. So a lot of bands who are applying for government funding through Factor or Canada Council or whatever, it's like clockwork every time there's a Factor deadline the week of the deadline, I get at least a dozen emails from bands saying, hi, we're, uh, we're looking for a publicist for our forthcoming record that, you know, we're going to record next year and blah, blah, blah. And they make you seem like, oh, we're coming to you way ahead of time so we can. And I email back and I go, I take it you're applying for the factor deadline this week. And they're just trying to find a name to put in the marketing plan. Uh And I'm like, nope, sorry, don't play that game. Contact me after the factor deadline. Yeah, plan for next year. Yeah, plan for yeah, next right. year. The next round. Yeah. yeah. So, by the way, I was going to say that one of the other things I do, and it's on my website, is that I do do a lot of consulting with, you know, up and coming artists who just don't know where, you know, how to do all these things and sort of make the plan. They can hire me to do a consulting session, like two, two, two and a half hours. And we go through every topic from start to finish what they need to do to successfully plan for a release and, and then execute it. It's a worthwhile investment. Invest. Yeah. I mean, they may not have like $6,000 for a four month EP release campaign, single release, but they might have 500 bucks for a consulting session that will put them on the path to knowing what they need to do. You know? Yeah. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, Exactly. Oh, we could talk forever, Randall, about so many topics. I know. Thank you so much for your time. I really Oh, you're welcome. If you enjoy the show, share it with other musicians. Help us spread the word. Theme song written and performed by Wolves at Midnight. Thanks for listening to the Rockstar Today podcast. Now go out there and rock your business like you rock the stage.